Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if, you, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you have a Bible, turn it over or turn it on to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 will be our text this morning. That's the first book in the New Testament. If you're somewhat new to the Bible, I'm glad you're here. You know, if you think about sports teams, so often they are formed by arbitrary lines. Think back to grade school or middle school. P.E., recess, and the teacher picks two captains, and what happens? Those two captains are supposed to pick teams. Now, if me just bringing that up has caused trauma for you, those memories being stirred up, I apologize. We all remember those days. Some of those days for us were farther back than for others, but that's the way you made teams back then, right? But even in middle school, high school, you were on the team of your school. And yeah, nowadays they're traveling teams in the summer, but, but yet those are still sort of pick and choose, arbitrary lines. And then even in the pros where money runs everything, you know, it depends on who gets your rights and then you can choose another team and there's no loyalty. And, and that bothers us as fans, doesn't it? We want our players to stay here, to play for us, and we want them to not like anyone else on any other team. We learned that early on, that if you're on this team, then you're against that team. And you don't fraternize with the enemy. You don't talk to them. You don't wish them well. You destroy them. You beat them. That's the whole idea, right? <laughs> That's why it was so shocking what happened on a baseball diamond in Minnesota just a couple of weeks ago. It was a high school game. The pitcher, a young man named Ty Cohen, was on the mound, and he was pitching for the last out, and he struck the batter out. And with that strikeout, his team won, and it sent his team to the state championship tournament. And so as you can imagine, his team floods out of the dugout, and they're celebrating near home plate. But that pitcher, that young man, did something different. Maybe you heard the story, maybe you saw it. Watch this video and watch what he does. Notice the picture. All right, check this out. This is an act of sportsmanship at a high school baseball game in Minnesota. After striking out his friend on the opposing team to end the game, the pitcher there went to console his friend, who was on the losing team, rather than celebrate the win with his fellow players. The pitcher said he wanted the batter to know that their friendship was more important than the outcome of the game. That's so sweet. <laughs> now, obviously the pitcher doesn't do that after every strikeout. That would be kind of weird, right? Run to home plate and hug the batter. That could uh, cause all kinds of problems. But he went to home plate and talked to this young man and gave him a hug because it was his friend. They'd known each other since they were young. They'd actually played on some of the same summer teams. And he said, when someone asked him after the game, why did you do that? 
He said, because I know, and I wanted my friend to know that our friendship is more important than the outcome of any baseball game. That stands out, doesn't it? People notice that. That kind of thing is put on the news and goes all over social media. Because we like competition. We like the whole us versus them mindset. And it's not just in sports, is it? You see, we draw lines anywhere and everywhere we can. We work for two different companies. We attend two different churches. Right? We're part of two different families. We choose all kinds of things to use to justify the lines that we draw. And it's this us versus them mentality. People who are different in their political views than me. People who are of a different race or ethnicity. People who have a different religion, a different worldview. People with less money. People with more money. People who are younger than me because they don't seem to get it. People who are older than me because they just don't seem to get it, right? People who are obvious in their struggles, in their flaws, in their weaknesses. People who appear to be working against what we are working for. There are so many lines that we draw. And now we might not call these people our enemies. We don't use that word. But I wonder if we treat them as neighbors. Do we treat them as friends? Do we receive them with kindness and hospitality? Is your posture one of a peacemaker and bridge builder, or is it one of a person who intensifies the lines that are drawn between us and them? In his teachings, including the Sermon on the Mount, and certainly in his life, Jesus was all about showing and forming an alternate society, life in God's kingdom, oriented not around the values of the world, but around the values of the kingdom and reflective of the heart of God. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continues to shape lives, the lives of his followers, our lives, by challenging them to not always listen to that overbearing voice within us, that voice that says, you have to beat them down, you have to destroy them, you have to view that person as an adversary, an enemy, us versus them. And so as we read this text again from Matthew 5, I want you to think about someone. I want you to think about someone that you might consider your adversary, your enemy. Now, you, again, you might not call them that. Maybe you do. But I want you to think about someone who you struggle to love. And maybe you can envision a very specific person. <laughs> or maybe it's a type of person, a personality type. Or maybe it's a group of people, but I want you to think about them as you listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. As he does throughout this sermon, Jesus stomps on our toes. (laughs) A very hard teaching from Jesus. Not hard to understand, hard to put into practice. So as he does throughout this sermon, he cites a law that the people, the Jewish people, would know. Here he talks specifically about Leviticus 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You say, well, I see half of what Jesus said. Love your neighbor. And that sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Easy enough. Love your neighbor. Who could mess that up? (laughs) Well, we could. The Pharisees, who was a group of of religious leaders before Jesus' day and throughout Jesus' day, and they had come up with something called the halakhic. And this was a set of traditions, a set of rules that was supposed to help people keep the law of Moses, sort of a buffer for the law, a guardrail to keep you from going over the edge. So for example, the law says, keep the Sabbath day. Well, they needed to help that in their own minds. People might not understand that. And so we need to tell people what they can and cannot do. So in their halakhic, they came up with 40 things that were considered work that you could not do on the Sabbath. Now the problem was in their minds, the halakhic was on the same level as the Torah. In other words, their traditions, their rules, their guidelines carried just as much weight in their minds as the commands of God himself. You can see the danger in that. Jesus in Matthew 23 even referred to this. He says, this is a heavy burden that you are putting on people. You are putting your rules, your traditions on people, and it is weighing them down. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? When it comes to loving one's neighbor, the people thought we need to clarify We need to know exactly who it is that we call neighbor. Do you remember the question that prompts Jesus' story about the Good Samaritan? It's that question. Jesus, who is my neighbor? The idea is, if I can narrow down and I can define who my neighbor is, then I know who to love, but I also know all the people I don't have to love. Why would Jesus say, love your neighbor, why would God say love your neighbor if he didn't intend for us to hate someone else, our enemies? And so they worked themselves into this place where they added to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And guess who they saw as their neighbors? People just like them, their fellow Jewish companions No diversity, no one outside those circles. So Jesus comes along and he turns that idea on its head. Jesus says, don't just love your neighbors, those people who you like, those people who like you, 
those people whom you are like, Jesus says, you choose to love your enemies as well. Maybe those people you don't like so much. Maybe those people who don't like you so much. Maybe those people who aren't like you. He says to choose to do this. Love is a choice. Jesus isn't commanding emotions here. We can't always control our feelings, right? I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we don't feel like loving people who are very unlovable. We don't feel like loving people who have hurt us. We don't always feel like loving people who are vastly different than us. They think differently. They act differently. But Jesus isn't commanding emotions and feelings. He is shaping a mindset. Because he knows the way we think, the way we see the world, the way we see other people, the way we see God and ourselves will determine how we then live, how we treat people. And so love is a choice. You remember what Jesus said earlier in this sermon, chapter 5, verse 20. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees are the most righteous people we know. And Jesus is saying, no, they look righteous on the outside, but their hearts, their minds are far from righteous. And this is a great example. You know who the Pharisees loved? They loved themselves. They loved each other. They loved the people who looked and acted and thought just like they did. You know who they did not love? Pretty much everyone else. They didn't love the Samaritans. They didn't love tax collectors because they sold out to Rome. They didn't like people who were identified socially as sinners. They even called them that. They didn't like Romans because they were oppressive. They didn't like any Gentile. And Jesus calls them out. Jesus says, it's easy to love people who are just like you. (laughs) Anyone can do that. People who agree with you, who think like you do, who flatter you, who compliment you. You see, the truth is, the act of loving people who love you is really just an extension of loving oneself, right? It's all centered around me. I love them because they make me feel good about me. I love them because they think like me. I love them because they agree with me I love them because they look like me act like me think like me it's all focused on me but Jesus calls us to something radically different a different kind of love pervades the kingdom of God it's a rugged kind of love that leaves comfort zones and crosses boundaries and borders to meet people where they are with the heart of Christ this type of love characterizes the family of God do you remember what Jesus said he said when you love this way you are like children of God family of God earlier one of the beatitudes blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called what children of God you see the family of God is marked by a love that is a peacemaking love a forgiving love a radical love. And so as we think about what that means for us, as we think about what it means to love our enemies, let me share with you 
three different dimensions of this type of love and let you make the application where it fits. And the first idea is that we love the unloved. These are the people who don't seem to get much love. The people on the fringes of society, the outcasts, if you will. The people who maybe are different than you. Maybe a different political affiliation, a different race or nationality, a different worldview. Maybe they dress differently. They just look a little bit different. You might consider them in the out group. Of course, that's assuming you're in the in group. The Pharisees, they had lots of people that they could have loved that were unloved. Anyone who wasn't Jewish, pretty much anyone who wasn't a Pharisee. But they chose so often to draw lines and and build walls and say, us and them. Boy, there's a lot of that in our world today, isn't there? It's not just the Pharisees. A lot of lines are being drawn in the sand. A lot of hatred being spewed on both sides of pretty much every issue imaginable. Rather than the church joining the us versus them chorus, maybe we should sing a different song. Maybe this is an opportunity for Christians to demonstrate a kingdom-shaped ethic of love that stands out from the world, that shocks people because it's so different. A kind of love that hugs the batter that you just struck out. But be ready. You'll be targeted. If you choose to love the unloved, you will be targeted from within and without. Jesus was. Remember, Jesus was criticized because he sat at the table with sinners and tax collectors. How could he do that? What is he thinking? I thought he's the Messiah. Not long after he preached this sermon, you know what Jesus did? He did a miracle. He healed a Roman centurion's servant, Roman military leader, Rome, enemy number one. Jesus went to the home of the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. A sellout to Rome. I mean, you want to talk about enemies. These were the enemies, and yet Jesus loved them, shared table fellowship with them. Jesus didn't just put up with the unloved. He pursued them. The love of Jesus surged across social boundaries, poured over enemy lines. He loved the unloved. And so should we. The second dimension is to love the well-loved. You say, well, what, what does that mean? Who are the well-loved? These are the people that seem to have everything, especially have everything that we want. We sometimes see them as adversaries because they've taken something from us, either directly or indirectly, something that belongs to us. They get all the promotions at work, All the opportunities seem to fall in their laps. They experience the good fortune. They live the privileged life. It can be very difficult to love those who are successful, especially in the areas where we want success. It can be extremely challenging to rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. 
After all, don't they get enough love? (laughs) Why do they need my love? It's easier to, to hate them, or at least not like them very much. And yet the love of Jesus extends even to those who are well loved, and so should ours. Now the third dimension I think is the most difficult. It is the most challenging, and that is to love the unlovable. You see, sometimes people who are different from us, maybe they're born a different race, they're born to a different social economic class, there are arbitrary lines that separate us, it's us versus them, and we have to fight through that. But these lines, they are drawn deeply in the sand. And it's not a, a neutral third party who's done that. It's not just fate that's done that. It is that person. They have said or done something to hurt us, to anger us, to cause in us incredible feelings of disappointment. Maybe it's someone at work who lies at your expense to benefit themselves. Maybe it's an ex-husband or an ex-wife who just seems to make life extremely difficult for you. Maybe it's someone in your family you just always have conflict with. Maybe they've done or said something years ago to hurt you, and it hurt deeply. Maybe it's a friend who stabbed you in the back. Someone who is coming at you or worse, coming at your spouse or your children. Maybe you've been victimized by someone, by an abuser, by someone who's mistreated you. There's a story in Luke chapter 9. Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and he says, I want to stop in Samaria first. Prepare for me to stop there. Well, as his messengers go ahead of him, they don't want Jesus to stop there. And I love what James and John, two apostles, two disciples, two of his followers, his friends, I love what they ask of Jesus because it's so human. Do you remember this story, Luke chapter 9? The people in Samaria, they don't want to receive you. They don't like you, Jesus. You know what they say? James and John say, would you like us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? (laughs) First of all, I didn't know there was fire in heaven, right? That blows up every paradigm of heaven and hell I ever had. Are there some people (laughs) that if truth be told, you would like to pray to God? God, if you're ever going to send fire from heaven, I know exactly where you can send it, right? Have you ever wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy someone? because they've hurt you so deeply, because they've angered you so much? Well, Jesus doesn't let James and John do that. He doesn't let them torch the people. Instead, Jesus shows us a different path. Life in an alternate society. The way of life in the kingdom of God. And so we go with Jesus into the upper room. It was acted out right here in front of us on our stage this week at Vacation Bible School. And as Jesus shares that Passover feast and he institutes the Lord's Supper, he also does something else. He washes their feet, the feet of his disciples. And we look at that story and we say, that's a great example of humility. What a great expression of service, and it is. But it is so much more. It is a radical demonstration of love. Why? 
Think about whose feet Jesus is washing. Not just the disciples who, you know, yeah, they're a little rough around the edges, but for the most part, they're on board with Jesus. He's washing the feet of Peter, who will betray him. He's washing the feet of Judas, who Jesus already knows has turned him in, has sold him out. And yet Jesus washes his feet. We would call them enemies. Peter, the denial. Judas, the betrayal. We would say those are the acts of enemies, people who are against me. And yet Jesus lovingly washed their feet. It's easy to love those who love you. Loving those who have it out for you is one of the hardest things to do in life. That kind of love is on a different level. One that transcends the self-serving love that we see every day in our world and that we are so susceptible to. And Jesus says, when you love this way, you become, look at verse 48, you become perfect. We're like, wait a second, no one's perfect, we can't be perfect. Don't miss the meaning of this word. It's not morally pure, it's not sinless. The word means complete, mature. And when you and I begin to love this way, we are loving with a mature, complete, full kind of love. The same kind of love that reflects the love, the perfect love of our Father. After Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he said, love one another. John 13, and all people will know you belong to me. All people will know you are my disciples, that you are connected to me when you love one another. When you love like I just loved, Jesus says the world will know because it's a love that stands out, a love that stops traffic, a love that demands to be noticed. It's different. It's extraordinary. And when a world plagued by cynicism and fueled by hostility sees this kind of love, it can't help but to take notice and be drawn to the source of that love, which is God. You see, that's the kind of love that permeates the family of God. That's the kind of love that pours out of the heart of our Heavenly Father. Listen to the words of Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. We were adversaries. We weren't, a, we weren't on God's team. We were against him. So through Christ, we will surely be saved from God's anger because we have been made right with God by the blood of Christ's death. While we were God's, what's the word there? Enemies. While we were God's enemies, he made us his friends through the death of his son. Surely now that he, or that we are his friends, he will save us through his son's life. That's the kind of love that God pours out on us. The kind of love that he calls us to extend to others. Others who are different. Others who have hurt us. Others who have offended us. Others that we might see as our enemies. 
But don't misunderstand, loving your enemies is not condoning their mess-ups. Forgiving your enemies is not saying that what they did to hurt you is okay. In God's kingdom, this is important, we are not doormats making ourselves available to be walked over or taken advantage of. Nor do we dismiss the wrong others do against us. Rather, as one minister said, we choose to take bolt cutters and we cut ourselves away from those actions against us. We free ourselves with God's help from those words and deeds done against us. Because if we don't, you know what happens. Those things cause inside of us resentment and anger and hostility and things that do not represent the heart of God. We will become like our enemies reflecting the very evil that we see and despise in them. Children of God choose a different path. We choose to see others as people made in the image of God. People for whom Jesus died on the cross. People who are the targets of God's incredible love just as much as we are. Jesus said, love your neighbors, but also love your enemies. What is God putting on your heart today? What do you need to do to respond? We should all respond in some way to every message. That doesn't mean we necessarily come down front. But hopefully the word of God stirs within us change. We think differently. We act differently. We perceive differently. What is God putting on your heart today? Do you need to call someone and apologize or forgive or seek forgiveness? Do you need to have some very difficult conversations? Or maybe you have seen the love of God and you know it's real. The passage we just read in Romans 5, that he sent Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. You're ready to respond to that wonderful message of grace, to the gospel, to be baptized into Christ. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. Feel free to come down forward if you want the prayers of this church. But also we have a couple of shepherds and their wives who are going to make their way into the parlor, which is right behind me. And you can feel free to go out any of these doors and make your way over there and they'd be happy to receive you and pray for you. If we can help you in some way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Bye.